You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Hey, Amen. The young folks can be dismissed to junior church. Thank you so much, Hunt family. They got some work to do on that uh, Christmas program. We're excited about seeing that. If you turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, we're going to be in a couple different chapters in the book of Isaiah today, beginning with Isaiah 42, but then I also want to turn to the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 52 52 in a moment as well. Um, You know, can you imagine an artist trying to make a bust, um, you know, the the three-dimensional image of of an individual? if they didn't know that person or if they were only looking at photographs of that person, but if they could look at a number of photographs from many different angles, they could get a better idea of what that person looked like. And what I want to tell you today is that the four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, were written to give us a complete picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The four Gospels give us four different views of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were written by different men, obviously, thus the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were written for four different audiences, which is another important distinction of the Gospels. They were written for four different audiences or distinct audiences. They were written at different times and again from different perspectives. So this quartet of books, they actually coincide with a very powerful quartet of titles for the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Because if you were to read the four Gospels, you may notice, hey, these are a little different. Uh, There are four Gospels, they're all talking about Jesus, uh, but why are they maybe mentioning some different things or seem to be emphasizing uh, different things? Why is one really long? Why is Mark really short? Whatever the case is, and there's honestly an answer for every one of those things. See, in the Old Testament, there's four different distinctions that God gives concerning the Messiah who would come. And by the way, the word Messiah, we say regularly, but we use the English word for it, and that's Christ. Uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Anybody ever think that? You know, it's Jesus Christ, you know, Mr. Christ. Well, it's actually a title. Christ is Messiah. Messiah. And Messiah is the anointed one. He is the one that was uh, promised from uh, all the way back in the book of Genesis chapter 3, honestly, that there was one who would come, the anointed one, the chosen one, the Messiah, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and so on. And so throughout the Old Testament, it is leading up to the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ in human form. And of course, advent just meaning coming. So it's, it's, it's all leading up to when Jesus Christ would be born and ultimately when He would die for our sins on the cross uh, as well as reign. Okay, so real quickly today, I want to give you these four titles from the Old Testament. I want to give you the reference, all right? Uh, the very first one comes from Zechariah 9. Uh, you could try to turn if you want to, but I'm giving to you quick, so maybe you'd want to write these down. Zechariah 9, 9. The Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold thy king. Behold thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Behold thy king. You see, in Matthew, we find Jesus as the sovereign king. The Lord that was prophesied in the Old Testament who would be the one who would sit on the throne. And we sing about that same Jesus this time of year when we sing about you know, him sitting on his throne and, and the king and so forth. Now, he's a king, but he has yet to sit on the earthly throne that he is going to sit on in days to come. Remember, the Bible says, unto us a child is born. This is, I love this, this very popular quote-unquote Christmas verse. Unto us a child is born, comma. And in between the comma and the next word is 33 years. 
For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Comma. And between that comma and the next word is a period of about, well, a little over 2,000 years. Because then it says, And the government shall be upon His shoulders. And He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So the same verse that promised Jesus would be born and that He would die also promised that He would literally rule on this earth. And folks, that day is to come. And Matthew emphasizes that kingly nature. It goes back in genealogy to David and shows that he's the rightful heir to the throne. The book of Luke uh, emphasizes what we find in Zechariah 6 verse 12. And I'll just uh, pick up in the middle of that verse where the Bible says, Behold the man whose name is the branch. And I'll just pause right there. Behold the man. Jesus Christ was all God, but He was also all man. Uh, But without the sinful nature. But He was the man. He knew what it was to hunger and to thirst and to be tired. And Luke emphasizes that He is the Son of Man. And then John, the Bible uh, in John, there's a, a, a distinction there. Isaiah 40, verse 9. And here's the distinction of the Messiah we find in Isaiah 40, verse 9. And it just simply says this, Behold your God. Matthew gives the lineage of a king. Uh, Luke tells us of the lineage. Uh, Mark gives no lineage. Uh, Luke gives us the lineage that goes all the way back to Adam. But then the Gospel of John starts off by saying, In the beginning was the Word, with a capital W. It was Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So John mentions nothing of Bethlehem or the stable or the manger. It's saying this person who has come is God in the flesh. Behold your God. And then lastly, and I'm I'm giving the second gospel lastly, because I want to emphasize the meaning and the message of that one first today, and that is this one. Isaiah 42, verse number 1 says, Behold my servant. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And I would encourage you to read, you know, I'd say maybe about six verses into that chapter later. But if you would, go over with me to the book of Isaiah 52, and we'll try to look at these verses uh, and share some thoughts with you. Now, four different titles that Jesus has given. Four different roles, if you will. Jesus Christ, four different portraits or pictures, perspectives of Him. He's coming as the King. He's coming as a servant. He's coming as a man. He's coming as God in the flesh, working miracles like He did. But I think the one that astonishes me more than any of these is the fact that He is called the servant of Jehovah. Now that word servant, that word servant isn't so startling. But if I were to tell you that the the Hebrew word for servant is that it's equivalent with the word slave. And so I was going to title today's message A Slave for Christmas because that's a biblical reference. But it's hard for me to get that out because it's easy for me to say, yeah, Jesus is the King. Jesus is God. Jesus was a man. But to say that He came as a slave, as a servant... That doesn't seem to go along with the Christmas spirit, does it? But what I, and it's astonishing. But he says it in Isaiah 42. He says it in, in a moment you'll see there in Isaiah 52. But I'll give you this one quickly. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8. God promises again, I will bring forth my servant. I will bring forth my servant, the branch. See, Mark depicts Jesus as the servant of all. One sent by God to serve His people and to submit Himself to the Father's will even unto death. I mentioned this earlier, but it's worth mentioning right now because the idea of Mark 
Folks, the reason I'm starting out the Christmas season, because I'm going to preach on all four of these over the next several weeks, but the reason I'm starting with the slave, the servant, because one thing it emphasizes above all is it reminds us of something. It reminds us of the price to be paid. It reminds us of the work that Jesus came. In other words, it reminds us why He came. If He's the servant, a servant, a slave, is working off of orders. He's got a job to do. It reminds us of the job that Jesus had to do when He was born in that stable and laid in that manger. He came for a purpose. All right, He came to submit Himself to the will of the Father, even unto death. All four Gospels. The four Gospels really aren't biographies of the Lord's life. They're more written kind of as memoirs. There's short things said about the life of Christ, really, if you think about it. But they all are emphasizing more than anything the death of Christ. Uh, six out of the 16 chapters of Mark are spent on the Passion Week. Ten chapters of the Gospel of John, half of John, is spent on the Passion Week. Um, I believe it's uh, six or seven chapters in the book of Matthew, five and a half in Luke. I mean, it's all leading up to something so much more important. And by the way, let's think about this this Christmas season, folks. Compare that with the amount that's given to the Lord's birth. I love that we celebrate the Lord's birth, don't you? And, and, and I know that not everything that we do on Christmas is celebrating the Lord's birth. It's just a, it, but it's a great season to keep Jesus at the heart of. I love this time of year. But the emphasis in the Bible isn't as much on the nativity of Christ. And sadly for some people, if you say Jesus Christ, or if you say the Lord Jesus, there's one image that comes to their mind. And it's that little baby laying in a manger, isn't it? Uh, but folks, that really isn't the picture that God meant to come to mind. He meant for the, the death and the resurrection. That is the message of the gospel. And so in the book of Mark, it's interesting because you find we have a king. They sung that song. Um, and, and, and I love this, by the way. Very rarely will I request singers to sing a song or even for the song leader to pick out a song that's connected with the message. But I love how often they end up going together. Uh, because this king, this king was willing to come in the form of a servant and willingly die for the purpose and for the will of God. It's interesting also in the book of Mark that there's no genealogy whatsoever in the book of Mark. If you want to read the beautiful story and the account of Christ's birth, go to the Gospel of Luke. But don't go to Mark. Because <laughs> Mark, literally, I think the second verse, the second verse in Mark, in chapter 1, starts talking about John the Baptist right away, baptizing, being sin of God, because it's working. It's going. It's moving. Uh, the words are straightway and immediately. Uh, there's a working and serving nature. Jesus is working miracles. Twenty miracles recorded in the Gospel of Mark emphasizing that He's coming and He's doing something. The powers of Satan and hell try to rise up against Him, but they don't stand in His way. He accomplishes the work. He's got power as He accomplishes the work of God. But I tell you, the idea of the Lord Jesus Christ being the servant of Jehovah, again, out of all those, it just still is stunning to me. In, in the book of Psalms, and, and I'm getting into this in a moment, Psalm 40, verse, verses 6 through 8, so you, some of you may recognize these verses, but the Bible says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Listen to this. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burn offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I. Now this is referred to, this is, this is uh, speaking of Jesus. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. Now listen to the attitude of the servant. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Now, the psalmist is writing that, and there's an application to him, but there's a greater prophecy to the Lord Jesus Christ. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is in my heart. I'm here to do what you say, Father. But he says, Thou hast opened mine ears. And this is what got my attention as I was studying this. I've never seen this before. 
But there's some that believe that the reference to thou hast opened up mine ear was to a practice that you can find in the book of Exodus. And I believe it's Exodus chapter number 9. In Exodus chapter number 9, when a servant would, as a bond slave, would serve uh, their period of years that they would have to serve, they'd have to serve, say, 10 years, 20 years, and at the end of that, they could go free. But the Bible made an exception and said, but if the slave doesn't want to go free, if the slave loves the house of his master so much, and if his slave enjoys working and laboring, he don't have to leave. And what he can do to signify that he's willing to stay and serve, this seems extreme to me, but it said he can go over to the, to the corner post of the house and he can put his ear on the post. And the owner can come over with a hammer and with a spike and can drive a hole in his ear. Some of you women do that at early age, right? Uh, <laughs> Trey, if you did that, you'd be in all kinds of trouble. Uh, and by the way, that's one of the reasons why you see a lot of times the, the, the piercings, because that's what I'm thinking about, is the piercings of, 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 of ancient days that usually signified that somebody was a slave. But, that, but he says, thine ear, thou hast opened up mine ear. And it's just signifying that Jesus was a willing servant. He willingly said, this is what I'm going to come, and this is what I'm going to do. So as we celebrate again the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ during this season, let us consider that among other things, God provided His servant, His slave on that first Christmas night. Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Matthew 12 is a quotation of Isaiah. Matthew 12, verse 18, the Bible says, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit in him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Jesus Christ himself said in Luke 22, verse 27, he says, I'm among you as he who serveth. I'm coming to serve. That's what I'm here to do. John 13, verse 4. I love this. Jesus, the Bible says, He riseth from supper. And laying aside His garments, He took a towel and girded Himself. There's a beautiful picture in John 13 right there. Because the disciples, here they are, you know, they had been out, uh, I mean, on, on the dusty streets working and, and going about on the hot, dusty uh, plains and, and, and streets of Judea and wherever they were at. And as they come in to eat, it was customary that someone, a servant may would be in a house, to wash the feet of those who, the guests that would come in. It was obviously a pretty lowly job, but if they didn't have the servant, it would usually be the least among whoever there was in the house. And there was also a very practical reason for this. Because when they come to sit at a table, they didn't come sit at the kind of tables we sit at. They would come and they would sit around a table that was about this high and you would sit kind of like this. I'm like, am I going to be able to get back up? You'd kind of sit like this and eat. So you'd have your feet. So basically, if I'm sitting here like this, there's somebody right, else right there. And if... Uh, that looks sad me getting up. Uh, listen, if there's somebody else sitting right there, they don't be sitting next to your nasty feet. But here's the thing. Trey, that if, if you were to come into the house and, and, and there was nobody there, well, here's what happened with the disciples. These jokers, remember what they were always arguing about? Just think about this. The guys that Jesus was going to use to change the world. And they literally couldn't quit, quit, quit arguing about who was the greatest among them. Who was the best? I don't mean to get into the practical side of this message because I really want to emphasize Jesus as the servant. But can I say something? If Jesus is willing to serve, what makes us better than Him? What makes us in the church want to hold out for a clean hand kind of position that you get noticed for? You know, are we not willing to come and do something when nobody else is around? And by the way, there's plenty of people around here that are willing to do that, amen? And I appreciate that because that's the attitude of Christ. So here it is, they come in, and, and the disciples are looking around at each other like, uh, I'm not washing anybody's feet. If I wash his feet, 
He's going to think that I'm under him. Because that's kind of the picture. You're, I, I'm elevating you above me. So what Jesus does is the Bible says in John 13 that he, just like a servant would do, he removes his coat. And he goes and, and, and he gets the garments of, a, of, of, a, of the servant and he puts a towel and Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, begins to go around. Can you imagine me? Connor, would you let me wash your feet this morning right here in front of everybody? Let's do it. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> Some of you are getting nervous. I got my basin right under here. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. It's just weird to us in our culture, okay? Um, but, uh, and I don't want to see Connor's feet or touch him for that matter. But the idea is, can you imagine that? Jesus Christ getting down and beginning to wash the disciples' feet. And man, you talk about feeling low when he did that. But see, there's a greater picture in that. Jesus saw a need and he was willing to humble himself and become the, 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 put himself in a position lower than anybody else in that whole house. He took off his garment, the Bible says there in John 13. You know what Jesus did? He left his robes of glory. And He came down to where we were and put on the form of a servant, the Bible says, so that He might serve us. And when He was done serving there in John 13, the Bible says He put His coat back on. He put His cloak back on. And uh, you know what He did? When Jesus was done serving us, he put, he put those earthly robes back on, amen, and ascended up to heaven. That's the picture. But first, He came to serve. He came with a job to do. And that's what I want to try to give you here for just the next couple of minutes. When we think about Christmas time, Christmas time was not a surprise to, well, in a way it was a surprise to the people of Israel, but it shouldn't have been. If you read about Anna, Simeon, they were expecting a Messiah, remember? All the way back to the very first book of the Bible, God promised somebody was coming. And that's the theme throughout the Old Testament. He's coming, all right? So with great anticipation, Israel awaited their judging king. They looked forward to having their king. They looked forward to having their compassionate Messiah. They looked forward on some level to having Emmanuel, God with them. But the servant Messiah, the slave Messiah, they did not embrace. See, these are things that God wanted to do in their lives. He wanted to come, and it is His will. He wanted to come be their king and give them freedom from that Roman government and the oppression they were under. He wanted to come and walk among them as a man. And, and, and He wanted to be God among them and do great miracles. And they welcomed that, and that was God's will. But He had a job to do first. There was something else that had to be done first, and that was their sins had to be dealt with. See, they knew that they needed salvation from Rome. They knew they needed political salvation. They needed God to help them in their standing in the world. They, they even knew that they needed, uh, that, that they needed deliverance from uh, the oppression around them. But one of the things that the, the rabbis were not willing to admit was that they needed salvation from their sins. They did not believe that they needed deliverance from their sins. And as a result of that, like many today, they missed the message and they missed the meaning of Christmas. So think about this. They wanted Jesus. They wanted the Messiah in their lives, Dan. They wanted Him to come and, you know, take down Caesar. They wanted Him to come and take on Rome. They didn't like it when He came and started taking on the religious leaders instead of taking on the, uh, you know, the Romans. He wasn't messing with the Roman people. You know that? He was messing with the religious leaders of Israel. But here's the thing. It reminds me of a lot of people today. A lot of people today may say something along these lines. I want God to save my family. Our home needs help. So I want God to come help our home. There's a lot of homes struggling today, is there not? I'm telling you, the world, there's homes falling apart like you wouldn't believe. And there's people that say, hey, I want God to come help me and, my, and to save my family. There's people that may say, I want God to come deliver me from my illness. I want God to rescue me from my addiction. 
I want God to lift me out of the dark pit of despair. And can I tell you something? Uh, with the exception of the, the, the healing, God works in different ways with that. But when it comes to saving your family, lifting you out of addiction, bringing you out of the pit of despair, these are all things that God can do and wants to do in your life. Just like He wanted to do great things for Israel. But first, but first, He said, we've got to address your sins. You've got a greater issue. Matter of fact, the reason some of these other things are a problem is because of what you got in your heart, and that's sin. And that's something they did not want to come face to face with was their sin. See, people want Jesus sometimes to come and, uh, you know, help out. Oh God, we need you in this way or that way. But the first thing they need, and the first thing you need today if you're not saved, is man, you need to let God save your soul. You need to let God, you need to deal and come face to face with the issue of sin in your life. You may be here and be a child of God. There may be sin in your life that you need to confess. God does want to do great things, but first He came to serve, He came to deal with the greatest need of mankind, and that is the forgiveness of sins. The gift that man refuses is the gift that he longs for and needs the most. Did you know that? God offers the forgiveness of sins. And people want all kinds of things from God. But boy, you start talking to people about getting forgiveness of sins, people say, well, no, I I don't think I really need that gift. You know, I I know some people that do need that, but I'm not one of them. That's how, that was the attitude of the the Jews. I know people that probably need forgiveness of sins, but not us. We're we're okay in that department. but, But God, we would like you to work in these other areas of our lives. But God knows that the greatest need that people have is to be forgiven of their sins. And so that's that's the message of the servant, okay? So let me give this to you quickly. We see this, uh, how that there's at least three ways that servant applies to Jesus. Number one, I mentioned already, his voluntary submission. Psalm 40 verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God, Yea, thy law is within my heart. He, his voluntary submission. Not only that, but his entire dependence. In John 5.30, Jesus said, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Now Jesus is God in the flesh. But he says, I'm in utter dependence upon the Father today. That's what he said. Then not only that, but his steadfast devotion. Jesus said at the age of 12 years old, Murray, the only childhood account that we have of Jesus after the age of around two is 12, and then after that it's the age of 30. But the one thing Jesus has to say when when he's addressed and his mom and dad kind of forget uh, a little bit who he really is, And they say, what do you think you're doing? Where were you at? And why didn't you check with us? He says, well, hey. He said, I must be about my father's business. In other words, I got work to do. I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a reason. He said in another place, John 9, 4, here's what Jesus says. I must work the works of him that sent me. In other words, he's saying, I've got a job to complete. I've got work to do. And I'm not going to stop until I get the job done. Now, if you'd go over, and, and I told you to go over Isaiah 52, and these are the verses that I want to share with you, Isaiah 52, into 53, just a couple verses in Isaiah 52, verse number 13, the Bible says, Behold my servant. Behold my servant. He shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled, and be very high. And notice this. As many were astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man. And his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. Behold my servant. 
The Bible says, They will be astonished or astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. His visage speaks of his face. His form speaks of his body. This this prophecy, folks, that's written 600 years before Christ was even born, is telling us about what the servant is going to do when he gets here. Because this servant of Jehovah, the Bible says, he's going to be unrecognizable. His visage is going to be marred. His form is going to be unrecognizable. In other words, you're going to look at this person and it's not going to be looked, you're not going to be able to identify them as a human. They're not going to look like anybody else you'd ever seen. Now, why is that? Well, part of it is found in Isaiah 50, another prophetic psalm, where the Bible says, I gave, where, speaking of Jesus, where he says, I gave my back to the smiters. We know in the New Testament that Jesus was beaten with the cat of nine tails. We know that the cat of nine tails was a whip with nine uh, individual uh, whips, if you will, or, or, or d- divisions off of it. That would have bone and sharp rock and maybe balls of lead all within there. And we understand that the Bible says that he, I gave my back to the smiters. 600 years before scourging and crucifixion was a thing, Isaiah was prophesying, and even before that, David was prophesying specifically about crucifixion in Psalm 22, before crucifixion was ever anything that was ever carried out. But it was said that by the time someone was beaten with that cat of nine tails, the scourging, literally within the first, within the first ten lashes with this thing, any place where that, those nine uh, whips, those nine tassels, if you will, landed, the flesh would be totally stripped off. No more flesh. He's got 30 more blows at least to go with this thing. It was not uncommon. It was not uncommon for when people were scourged by a Roman guard that knew exactly what to do, it was not uncommon that people would literally die of debowment. In other words, there would literally be nothing left to hold their insides in. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 22, a prophecy of Jesus Christ, it starts off, by the way, isn't it amazing? Psalm 22 starts off this way. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's how Psalm 22 starts off. It's talking about the cross. And the Bible says this. In that Psalm, he says, I may tell all of my bones. They look and stare upon me. That means Jesus was beaten right down to the bone in places. The Bible says, I gave my back to the smiters in in Isaiah 50. And he says, I gave my cheeks to them that plucked out the hair. So we know that the Bible says they slapped Jesus. We know that the Bible says they punched Jesus or buffeted Jesus. We know that it says they hit him with the reed over the head while he wore the crown of thorns. And then we know also that they ripped the beard out of Jesus. So no wonder His visage was marred. No wonder His form was beyond recognition after they had gotten through beating the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the Bible says in Isaiah 53, the Bible says in verse 3 of Isaiah 53, He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from Him. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But here it is, folks. What was the purpose? What was the, the goal? What was the job of this servant of Jehovah? Notice this, verse 5. But He was wounded... For our transgressions. Where we've crossed the line. Where we've sinned. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, hallelujah, we are healed. You go down through this uh, verse, the Bible says in verse 9, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Joseph of Arimathea's grave. 
Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath made, he hath put him to grief. Listen to this. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. And, his, and he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Why was Jesus born? Yes, to be the king. Yes, to be the man. Yes, to to be God among us. But he was born with a mission. Your sins, my sins. Your iniquities, my iniquities. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. By the way, I love the universal nature of Isaiah 53. It says, how many have sinned? All. It says, how many sins has God laid upon Him? All. There's those that that would teach some sort of limited atonement. You You may find that in the writings of a theologian, but you do not find that in the script of the Word of God. All our sins was laid upon Him. Why? What's the purpose? Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Here's the thing. Sin is what separates mankind from God Almighty. But He loves you this much. Amen. He loves you this much. That's why the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He did it for you and for me. But isn't it interesting? The Bible starts off by talking about His physical afflictions. But those final verses I was reading was referring to his soul. When he literally, the sinless son of God, your sins and mine were... By the way, don't think your sin is a light thing. Boys, don't believe this mess about white lies and little sins versus big sins. Every one of those sins Jesus had to pay for. Every one of them. But it says his soul. You know why? Because our sins, our wretched, filthy sins were placed upon the sinless, pure, righteous Son of God and he carried our sins. He bore our sins, the Bible says. And there in the midst of of the darkest time, maybe in history, at midday when the sun refused to shine and Jesus Christ said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? Because our sins were upon Him. And He had to experience what it's like to be separated from the Father, as would be the separation we would experience in eternity in hell if we don't have our sins dealt with. But He loved us enough. He had a mission. He came with a purpose. He came to bear our sins. He, that, that's the purpose. Folks, this may not sound like a Christmas message to you, but if it don't, it's because we're missing the whole, the whole purpose. He came, He was born, He came in physical form so that He might be able to die our death. He came as a servant. He's the servant of Jehovah. So we see His humiliation. Jesus, the Creator, God in the flesh. And it's no wonder, by the way, that the Bible says many were astonished. It is astonishing, is it not? It's astonishing. It's hard to imagine. Somebody said the, 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 the title of a slave, the word used for slave or servant, when it refers to Jesus as the servant, is one who does hard work in obedience to his master and has no will of his own and lives to please his master. The Bible says many were astonished. When Jesus died, if you'll remember, there's some that said, surely, that one Roman soldier said, surely this was the Son of God. People were amazed as he walked the earth. The Bible goes on to say that kings will shut their mouths. There in Isaiah 52, verse 13. Kings will remain silent before Him. That day's coming. Uh, But the Bible says here quickly, it's interesting. Back in Isaiah 52, verse 13, the Bible says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. The idea behind he shall deal prudently means to act wisely. And in Hebrew, that always means success or being successful. The same word is used, and the same phrase is used in Joshua 1.6, when God says to Joshua, I will give thee success. I'll give you success. So the Bible's saying, he'll deal prudently, it means he'll be successful. 
It's, in other words, it's, it's the result of hard work and strategy. That's what success is. And it's a verb that not only means that he's successful, but it means that he's successful and increasingly so. In other words, what it says right there is he will, he, he shall be exalted, he shall be extolled, he shall be very high, he will get the job done. And may I say, he got the job done. When he cried, it is finished, amen? And we know, or some of us are familiar with the fact that that word, the, the three words, it is finished, comes from the one Greek word, tetelestai which is the word that a servant would use at the end of the day when he was given a task to accomplish by his master. And when he was done with that task, he would come at the end of the day and he would say, Tetelestai, it is finished. It is done. And folks, Jesus accomplished that task. Folks, he, we see Him in His humiliation, but I want to tell you something, we don't only see Him in His humiliation, we see Him in His exaltation. It says there that he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Now that could sound like it's being redundant. Exalted, extolled, very high. But it's not. It's a cool picture. Because it's saying this servant, 600 years before Christ, remember, this faithful servant who's going to... Because the, 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 the verses that precede Isaiah 53 are kind of, a, uh, kind of a, a prelude to Isaiah 53. They're Isaiah 53 in just three verses. And then it expounds on it in Isaiah 53. Because the Bible talks about this servant dying in Isaiah 53. But then it says, you shall prolong his days. And it starts talking about that there's, there's something after his death. And by the way, the Jews had a hard time with that. They thought, well, how's this going to work? We know how it worked, amen? He died, but He rose again. Thou shalt be exalted. And thou shalt be extolled. Thou shalt be very high. And here's literally what it's saying. You, shall, you, you accomplish the work, you shall be high. And you shall be higher. And you shall be highest of all. What it's literally, and you know what I believe it's a picture of? You're going to rise again. You're going to be exalted. No, you're going to be exalted. You're going to rise again the third day after the cross. But not only that, you're going to be extolled. I believe that speaks of His ascension to where He goes even a little higher. But then it says, and then you're going to go very high. The Bible says He goes to the very right hand of the Father. His exaltation, He accomplished the work. And that's why the Bible says the nations shall be amazed. Philippians 2 tells us about this. Philippians 2 goes, it tells us this exact thing. It says that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But the Bible says he took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And it says he became obedient, the servant, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, that's Jesus, the servant of Jehovah. That's what He came to do. And I'm going to close this today with some thoughts there out of Philippians 2 and then Isaiah's question out of Isaiah 53. See, in Philippians, the Bible says, every knee will bow to Him. And every tongue will confess, Jesus, You are Lord. You are God. You are the Savior. You're the exalted one. Everyone's going to do that. Now here's what I want to say. To God be the glory, there's some of us already done that. The day that I acknowledge something that we don't want to acknowledge and it's where we started at and it's what the servant reminds us of, our sin. When I come and I realize the, the extent of my sinfulness and my sin, not in the eyes of other people, but in the eyes of God, I knew there was only one thing that, that I could do and that's bow before my God. And now, you may not have to physically bow here, 
But we had to bow our hearts and say, Lord, You are Lord, and I'm a sinner. I want You to come into my life and be my Savior. I, I, I turn from my sin, and I turn to You today. And that's why the Bible says in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who hath believed? Who hath believed our report? That's the question for you today. Have you believed? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan and the demons of hell believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe that He existed. They believe that He was born. They believe that He died. They believe that He rose again. That's believing in the Lord Jesus. But the Bible says to believe on the Lord Jesus. Earlier this year, I preached a message about the difference. And I brought a hammock up here on the stage. And I showed what it meant. Believing in that hammock, if you could just imagine it over there with me today, is believing, it'll hold me up. Yeah, I believe I could get in that thing and be just fine. There's a hammock there. I can acknowledge that. All well and good. I believe in that. That's how some people are. I believe, oh yeah, I believe in God. Don't you worry. I'm good, preacher. I've always believed in God. I've been a Christian my whole life. Can I tell you something? You may have been raised in a Christian home, but nobody's been a Christian their whole lives. You may have been raised in a Christian home, but there had to come a time to where you admitted and acknowledged you can be like the Jews and reject that part of Christmas and of the message, or you can bow now or you're going to bow later. But here's the thing. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ I should have brought my hammock again today. But I just went over there and just hopped in that hammock. I didn't just say, yeah, I, th I, think, I think this is good. I st I, I'm still trusting the floor. Everybody didn't get one of the hammocks that you ever got flipped out of before? Yeah? Well, let me tell you something. You won't flip out of Jesus. Amen. Um, but, 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 you know, you come over there and you might say, I, I think it's going to hold me. But here's what some people do. I'm leaning on this. But I'm also saying, I still, but boy, I'm, I'm going to hold on to Grandma's religion. I'm going to, I'm going to hang on to what I've always believed in, you know, and yeah, and Jesus too. I got this. Nope. I, I, I'm a good person. I mean, yeah, okay, I'll lean on Jesus too. Yeah, I believe in Jesus too. No, that's not what believing on Jesus is. It's saying, oh my gosh, Jesus. If any, if I could have stood on anything else, you wouldn't have had to go through this. You went through this because the only way was if I would believe and trust in you totally. Okay? So again, here's the question. Who hath believed our report? Who hath believed? There's going to come a time when you bow, but I'll ask you this question. As we all stand, and Kim, you can come. Have you bowed before the Lord? Have you acknowledged that you're a sinner in need of salvation? If you haven't, I want to invite you to do so today. How do we believe? The Bible says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Have you acknowledged before God today that you need to be saved? Are you, kind of, are you just kind of leaning on Jesus and saying, Yeah, I believe in Jesus too, of course. I'm not a heathen. I'm a good person. Preacher, I've been baptized. I mean, I'm a member of a church. I've been a church in all my life. That's wonderful. It really is. But that's not salvation. I believe in God, not salvation. Have you put your faith and trust in? It's simple. You say, Preacher, you're trying to make things hard. No, I'm trying to make things simple. Jesus paid, paid it all. He purchased the gift of salvation. Have you received it? How much more simple can you get than that? Have you received it? You say, preacher, I don't know. If you don't know, man, I've received gifts. I've remembered. There's gifts I remember that I got when I was a kid for Christmas because they were so special to me. I can't imagine accepting the gift of salvation and not remembering that, okay? So if you haven't accepted Christ today, let me tell you, you say, I don't remember then maybe right now today, maybe right now today, you would want to bow with me. 
Bow your heart. Bow your head. Can you believe from your heart today? That's where it really matters. Because if you can believe on Jesus from your heart, you could say this with your words from your heart. Would you say this with me today? Dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you today that I am a sinner. I've sinned and I need you to forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I believe that you went to the cross to pay for my sins. Will you please, as I turn to you today, I don't want my sin, I want you, Jesus. I turn to you today. Will you come into my life and be my Savior? Did you pray that prayer today? Did you know it can be that simple? It's not just words, but it's that simple of an attitude. It's letting go. It's letting go of what you've been holding on to all your life. That's hard to do. That's the hard part. But I promise you one thing. I wonder if somebody could give me an amen on this one. You'll never regret it. Amen. You'll never ever regret it. Well, we're really blessed today. We've had uh, a couple folks that have expressed an interest in becoming members of Elk Point Baptist Church. And we'll... uh, folks that I've been able to talk to already. So if you're still interested, I'm going to ask you to come on down.